Hi, and welcome to the Church Unlimited podcast. Church Unlimited is a vibrant, Bible-based church in North Lakes, Queensland, that is passionate about helping people discover the genuine love of Jesus. If you're currently looking for a home church, we would love for you to join us for Sunday worship. For more information about our Sunday service or to find out how we can best help you, head to our website at churchunlimited.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message from Sunday service. But today I actually want to bring a message from somebody who was looking 700 years to the first Christmas. So there's a bit of anticipation here. So today I'm going to be turning back and we're going to go back 700 years before that very first Christmas. And we're going to look at a prophet and evangelist called Isaiah. Um, Isaiah, he was, this, he was called to call these evil kings to account But throughout his writings, he would just keep dropping in these promises, these prophecies that a Messiah was coming. And they would contrast, you know, there's an evil king or there's, you know, dangers from outside the kingdom. And then he would say these amazing words like, for unto us a child will be born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now, I love getting into all these. I love reading the Bible, seeing how God has moved, because you know what? If you can actually see how God moved in the past, it's, it's the same God. He's going to act pretty much the same way moving forward. So this is the, still the same God, even though there's, what, 2,700 years between. Isaiah worships the same God that we do. And so what he says about God is still true. And the problems that he faced then, we still face now. So anyway, as I was reading through this, I always ask a lot of questions of the text. Why did he say it that way? Why did he say it that way? I was that annoying kid in my youth. But mom, dad, why? 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 I was that whingy kid that would always ask, and I do that with the Bible, but I think God's got a bit more patience. Okay. But as I was reading this, why did God give four names for the Messiah? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, I'm obviously not God. Okay? I'm amazed that God put me in charge of two daughters and 50 Bible college students. Uh, so I'm not God. But if I was, just go with me here for a second. And I was going to foretell my coming 700 years in the future, I would have just gone with one name. Okay? He, he had I am from Exodus. I think that's nice and short and simple. Why not just say, you know, I am. In Genesis, it was Yahweh, or at least that's how we pronounce it. Why doesn't he just say, yeah, and he shall be called Yahweh? He obviously knew the name he would take when he did come to this earth. Why don't we read in Isaiah, and he shall be called Jesus? Let's just get rid of all of the ambiguity completely. Why is Isaiah giving him four different names? It's just confusing. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. If we were to look a couple of chapters earlier, we would see Emmanuel, God with us. If we go right to the end, we see God, the Mighty One of Jacob, or Redeemer. But I want to focus on these four names for today. Because as I studied these and I read, you know what I thought? You know what? This world that we live in, who here thinks it could do with a wonderful counsellor? Yeah. I think this world could do with a mighty God. I think this world is desperately crying out for any fathers to step up and definitely an everlasting father. And we just need to turn on any channel 
on TV or social media to know that this world is crying out for a Prince of Peace. So what I want us to do is just look at these four ways that Jesus is promised to present himself as, and we know that he did. And I want to look at you know, these titles of Jesus. Perhaps we need to start seeing Jesus as one of these, let alone four. Now, I'm going to be easy. I am a Bible college student, but lecturer, sorry, but I know it's the end of semester. We just graduated the class, so I'm going to go easy. I'm going to give you a four-point sermon, okay? You get to choose which quarter to act on this week, but you do have to listen to the whole message, and then you can choose. So that's where we're going for this. So let's start with Wonderful Counselor. Isaiah would expand on this a few chapters later. He would actually say this, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You know, when Jesus spoke, he spoke as a rabbi, we're told, as one with authority. He brought wisdom and he spoke life against the world's wisdom, but also against the prevailing religious texts, where the world taught depravity and acceptance of everything. Christ simultaneously accepted everybody, the fatherless, the widow, the rejected, you know, the ill. But then he challenged the world to live a life for and in his kingdom. He would challenge the religious leaders who kept putting up barrier after barrier after barrier between God and his people, and he would challenge them to actually bring life and reconciliation. If we look at what we understand today as a counsellor, you know, a counsellor is one who reconciles. My beautiful wife, Carly, uh, she's actually done some training in mediation. This is the step before the lawyers get involved. That's always the better step. Okay? Um, but that training is how to bring people back together, how to reconcile people, or how, when people's minds are fractured and they're struggling to deal with things, how can we actually bring those thoughts back together? And what did we see Jesus do? Jesus' mission, it seemed, was always to reconcile us to his Father, to come and seek to save the lost and to reconcile. You know, we often look at the cross, you know, which is rightly the crowning moment of Christ's life, uh, where he took the guilt and pain and sin that kept us separated from God and the wages of sin that had been piling up since Genesis 3 and laid them on himself. He took the title Saviour at that point. But what did he do in his preaching in the preceding three years? He was constantly teaching us about his Father and his Father's kingdom. Think about any parable you want. How does it start? The kingdom of heaven is like. He's describing the world his Father is building for us helping us to understand and reconcile us to God the Father. After the parable of the Good Shepherd in John 10, some rulers challenge his authority. They actually come, you know, they're trying to stone him. The old-fashioned kind, not the more contemporary approach, just for those who need the clarification. But this is what he says. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He's saying, if you can see me, you can see my Father. That's what I want, to, who I want you to introduce to. Later on in the same chapter, do not believe me unless I do the work of my Father. Earlier in that chapter, the work I do is in my Father's name, testify about me. Jesus' life was on the line. They are trying to stone him. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to reveal to them who his Father is, to reconcile. That's what he was on all about. 
From the very first introduction we hear in Matthew 1, that Jesus was here to take away the sins of the world, which we know is what separates us from God, all the way through to the very, his last words in Matthew, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Jesus' mission, it seemed, was to remove any barrier that would keep us away from his Father. Now, like a wonderful counsellor, Jesus very rarely lost his temper, but on the old occasion that he did, when was it? It was when people kept putting barriers between God the Father and the people. Yeah? When Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking against the hypocrites. He's actually taking aim at those who kept laying burden after burden after burden on their people and then refused to pick up, uh, to lift a finger to help them. And he's the one that he went off on. When he was turning over the tables in the temple, these were people that were charging exorbitant amounts for the sacrifices the Jews had to give. They were putting financial burdens between God and his people. And that is when the counsellor got angry and started tipping over tables. I think as a carpenter, you know, he spent a lot of time building tables. He would have known exactly how to tip them all over. That would have been an epic scene to see. Okay. But as a counsellor, yeah, counsellors would bring people together and he would often, counsellors nowadays and mediators nowadays, they don't go, well, what does strictly the law say, although they do have to obey it, but instead they work on reconciling. And our wonderful counsellor from 2,000 years set the tone for how we still do it today. So in, is, as we approach Christmas, what, reconcil- re- what reconciliation do we need to look at? Perhaps this Christmas a relationship has turned sour where both people might be hanging on to, but I was right. If you notice, Jesus didn't spend a lot of time arguing over who was right. He was the one that was reconciling people to his father. Okay, maybe you're in a work relationship or maybe there's a power imbalance somewhere and you feel like you've been wronged. You can't stand up against that. Or maybe... You're the one in a position of power. And it might be actually working in your heart right now, going, you know what, I might have been abusing that relationship. I haven't been drawing it together. I've just been trying to get what I can out of it. And perhaps this Christmas, you might be going, you know what, I need to reconcile and repair that relationship instead. You know, what might our counsellor be asking us to lay down this Christmas? And we, we know exactly how much Christ laid down. So this is wonderful counsel. This is one way to look at it. But there's actually a second way I want to look at it before we move to our next point. There's Because there's so much more than just reconciler with a wonderful counsellor. If we were to look at the Hebrew for counsellor, it's use. Yeah, sounds like I've been a bit lazy with my grammar there. Oh, use, use all. But no, it was, this word here, it not only meant to advise or bring counsel, but it was to, deri- to devise or provide purpose. Maybe this Christmas you're coming in and a counsellor, like, who can remember their school counsellor that would say, hey, this would be a great career for you. This, this might be what you want to give your life to. Okay. I had a great, great one. The very last thing on my teacher's, on my um, career counsellor's list of things to do after they'd done all of the testing was like pastor and worship leader um, were the bottom of the list. I think our God has a great sense of humour. Okay. But look at what Jesus did when he came. He went around giving people's purpose. Look at the disciples after they met Jesus. This is just some of the things that were said about them. These these guys were unschooled, ordinary men. 
but they have been with Jesus. They could just tell. They had gone from hiding in an upper room. They had gone from sneaking away, rejecting that they even knew Jesus. And then what happened to their life? 11 out of the 12 of them were martyred because they were living for something bigger than them. Paul is a great example. Paul, with all of his intellect and his Roman citizenship, he probably could have gotten himself out of jail through the legal system. But he decided, no, I'm going to use this legal system to take the message of God all the way into the heart of the Roman Empire. And we still teach from the book of Romans to today. You know what? And if you want to check that out, just sign up for ULA. We'll get back to year two at some point in the future. Um, we are told in Hebrews 11, name after name after name of those who had found their purpose in God and who were willing to lay down their lives for something greater than themselves. Jesus would come to each of the disciples, come follow me. The greatest thing a Hebrew or a Jew would ever want to hear, come follow me, spoken from a rabbi. You think your life, fish, you think your life spent fishing for fish is amazing? Come fish for people. Jesus would just give this purpose after purpose. You know what? In my own life, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I grew up in a Christian household. Uh, but it was only in grade 11 when I finally said, okay, God, my life is too small a thing to devote my life to. Okay? My life is too small a thing to devote my life to. That is where my life changed, when the realization that God had something greater for me to devote my life to than just enriching me. I was given a purpose, and that is what changed my life. And maybe this Christmas, the same, it might be true for you. You may not be chasing in a baby, a baby in a manger. This is Church Unlimited. There is something in the water. We do not have problems getting babies around here. But perhaps the purpose bringer, the, the wonderful counsellor is wanting to challenge you. What is your purpose? What are you going to give your 2023 to? Okay, that is not you. Thus endeth point one. Okay, please don't check out. There's still three great points left, but that thus endeth point one if you want to action those. Mighty God, let's look at this next title. And this is on the other far extreme. Mighty God in Hebrew, El Gabor, almost sounds, you know, you know, sounds like you want to get into a tussle. Okay, from the Hebrew language, El Gabor was actually most often used in a military context to describe a warrior or a leader of warriors, a champion. Okay, we might say a hero in today's world. And I think this is something the world desperately needs to see. So often when we present Jesus, especially around at Christmas, what are all the favorite verses? Come unto me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my burden, for it is light. You know, we remember Jesus in the dirt um, with, the, with the woman accused of adultery or bringing comfort to the families of Lazarus and Jairus' daughter, even though he would bring them back to life. We think of the shortest verse in Scripture. Um, anybody who has to do Bible memorization, here's a really short one. Jesus wept. Okay? We think of Jesus asking Peter to take care of his mum. And at Christmas, we always remember Jesus in the manger. Who wouldn't think of Jesus meek and mild? But there's a problem, because if we stop there, and unfortunately, a lot of churches nowadays do stop there, we are missing a big part of who Jesus is. I want to show another picture of who Jesus is. I'm just going to look at two Bible verses here, and we can see another 
another facet of who Jesus is. Because if we are called to be Christ followers, if we are called to be like Christ, then we have to understand every facet of who Jesus is. So I'm going to turn back um, and we're going to look at Joshua 5.13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, this is when the Israelites were invading the promised land. Okay? He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? It's a rather important thing to know, I think. <laughs> Neither, he replies, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell face down to the ground in worship and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Now we can read through this text and we can often miss it. But Joshua is a book that was all about what happens when the leader of a nation follows God in every way. Joshua is this book in the Old Testament all about how Joshua was following every single rule. And what was the rules that the Jews had about who to worship? You worship God alone. There is nobody else. What does Joshua do here? He falls to his ground and worships. Who is the commander of the armies of the Lord? It's the Lord. That's Jesus right here. The Lord incarnate, the Lord in body. This is Jesus in the Old Testament as the commander of the armies of the north, of the Lord. What about if we go right to the end of time? What if we go to the second last book in the second last chapter in Revelation? I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he wages... Uh, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. His name is written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. And from Genesis and John, we know who the word of God is. That is also Jesus. Um, it's been put this way to me. If anybody ever comes ready for a fight and they're dressed in white and the only thing on them is the blood of their enemies, you know you're in trouble. We don't often think about this, okay? but one day every knee will bow. God's patience is beyond our understanding, but it is not infinite. One day those who still stand against him will be destroyed after they've been made to bow. Why am I spending so much time on this in a Christmas message? Well, the first, as I said, if we are to follow Christ, um, then we are to be like him. Okay, we and you know what, in this church, we have many counselors, nurses, doctors, psychologists. They do amazing work. We have Joe and others who lead up our mother's group. We have Charlotte and Nate and Kate who take care of our youth and our young adults and our kids, and they do so with so much wisdom and compassion. It's amazing. Okay, and I look, I just want to say, I'll just stop for two seconds. Um, Nate and Kate and the youth team, they've just finished the year with a massive formal. The growth that we have seen in our young adults and kids, the growth I have seen in my eldest daughter, I just want to give credit where it is due to Nate and Kate and the team that they lead. Okay. They are amazing, wonderful counsellors. Okay. But you know who else we have in this church? We have people like Dean Johnson. Okay. Um, oh, Dean Sutton, Richard Johnson. We have the Holtzhausens. We have others who have served in mil the military. We have Officer Amy. We have those who serve in security and those who protect. You know, 
a young lady that I knew from a previous church, she worked in child protection and she was one of the ones that would go in and take children away from domestic violence situations. She was a scary woman you do not want to meet in a back alley. Okay. But they are the ones that are following this mighty warrior or this mighty God just as much. You know what? James spoke about red frogs. Yeah, when we go down there, there is a lot of care and comfort and support. There's a lot of holding people and weeping with them as we're instructed to do. You know, mourn with those who mourn. You know, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of sitting next to somebody holding their head out of the toilet, just so you know if you're wanting to volunteer for Red Frogs next year. And that's really important. But you know what else is there? There's the walk home teams that stand between the girl who's been drink spiked and the toolie who wants to take what is not being given. Do you think we need a wonderful counsellor at that point? Or do we need a mighty warrior? Which Jesus do we need in that situation? Okay. Some parts of today's world, they want, they've tried to define this protective physical nature that God has imbued us with and write it off as toxic. And unfortunately, some people have accepted this view but the same Jesus who cared for the widow and the orphan is the same Jesus who drove the corrupt business people out of the temple and stood between those who held rocks and an adulteress, and he sided with the adulteress. Okay? He was a carpenter capable of lifting over the tables, and we are told that people ran. You imagine business people and entrepreneurs running away from their stores when Jesus got angry at them. I think sometimes we need a little bit of that in our life too. Okay. The other reason I'm so passionate about this point as well, and I'm going to linger here for a minute, is because we see in today's world that if we present too much of the wonderful counsellor, you know, we're actually making it really difficult to evangelise and reach out to men, and especially young men. Now, Charlotte and I presented a, um, presented a parenting course a couple of weeks ago, and we were doing a lot of research that came out of this. Uh, sadly, one of the stats in the Western world, we are looking at a church that is 40% male, 60% female. Some other research that just came out of the States puts that number at 39%. The church worldwide is doing a terrible job at evangelizing to men and young men specifically. We keep telling people, come to church, you'll be safe. That really doesn't get my blood excited. People who have grown up in this world, and I said, hey, come to church, you'll be safe. Now, a lot of people that have gone through trauma might need that. You know, young women and young ladies may need that. But you're not going to attract the young men into the church presenting a Jesus meek and mild. I love C.S. Lewis got this one. It's like, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's a king, I tell you. He's wild, you know. He's not a tame lion. I love that picture of God. If God has designed us in his imago Dei, if we are created in his image and we are to stand up for justice and step up to the challenges, then perhaps writers like Driscoll or John Eldridge, Riled at Heart, or Charles Spurgeon, they actually got this right. I love this. This is from 1800s. This is Charles Spurgeon. There has... <laughs> You're old enough to know who he was. Did you meet him, Ron? <laughs> okay, this is what Charles Spurgeon said, and you can, Ron can correct me if I need to. 
There has got a broader notion somehow that if you become a Christian, you must sink your manliness and turn milksop. The message of Christ, though, is universal. Following Christ includes adventure, risk and purpose. Churches should preach the word and challenge, nurture and encourage all their members, male and female. Any church that turns the gospel into a soft, congenial message minimizes the cost of discipleship and imputes weakness to Christ he does not deserve. Perhaps this Christmas you might want to look at your life. Has it become too safe? Has it become a nine-to-five with a trip to church on Sunday instead of actually going and risking something you might fail at or standing up for those who cannot defend themselves because this is who the baby in the manger would grow up to do also? Perhaps if we know a neighbour or a family member or a colleague who needs help or we know what somebody, we might know a police officer or we not, might know a security guard or we might know somebody who, whose heart is to protect and we can bring them and invite them to come and know the ultimate protector, our mighty God. Thus endeth point two. So number three, everlasting father. Now this is a confusing one. Jesus is not the father in the Trinity, but Isaiah gives him the name Everlasting Father. It's so confusing, but I think that name is so powerful. But we have to stop and think, how did Jesus, who bore no children, was never married, was constantly described as the son, how does he take on the title Everlasting Father? I think that it is because, like a father, he was actually able to hold this counsellor and warrior together to protect his children. Another Old Testament prophet would say this of the Messiah. This is in Malachi 4.6. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to his children, the heart of the children to their fathers. You know what? We live in a world today that is crying out for fathers. One in four kids in the Western world does not have a dad to go home to today. In some parts of America, it is getting up to one in three, and Australia's numbers are following pretty closely. Just the way, If you were to look at the year before COVID, if you found every kid that didn't have a dad to go home to, okay, you could have filled up every room in New York City two and a half times over. This world is crying out for fathers because fathers have just gone missing. They've gone absent. Okay? Dads being absent or being too far on one extreme or the other is raising a generation that does not know what fatherhood is. Now, I actually believe this is Satan's plan because when we describe God as our good, good father, there is a quarter of this world who have no idea what a good father looks like. Okay? It is a tragedy and it is something that every single guy in this church has stepped up to and continues to step up for. I'm so encouraged to be here uh, in Church Unlimited because we do this well, but we need to keep raising that bar. Jesus was called Everlasting Father and I think Malachi nailed it. As a father to Vanessa and Sarah, you know what? My job description is actually pretty easy. I need to be the wise counsellor when they need wisdom and I need to keep getting other wise counsellors around them. I need to be the mighty warrior when they need protection. My daughters are not going to schoolies unless they're wearing a red frog shirt. (laughs) My job, though, is also to turn their hearts back to their parents. Okay, to turn their hearts back to me and back to Carly, 
to draw their hearts closer to their heavenly Father and to turn their hearts back to Jesus, their everlasting Father. That is my job description. And you know what? Everything else is going to come out in the wash. Okay? But if I said, hey, Jesus, this is the, Jesus is the everlasting Father. This is what he did. This is what Malachi said he would do. This is what Isaiah said he would do. So I think that's a pretty good KPI for me to have as a father. And I think that's a great example for all of us. For those who are coming into this Christmas without a dad or with a broken relationship to their father or who maybe feel that they are the father that has brought division or maybe dropped the ball, this Christmas... Ask God, hey God, how can we rectify this? Read his word, how he has protected and guided. But not only that, as I said, we have an amazing community of fathers. Our fight club here, you know, all the mighty warriors, our fight club here you know, have some amazing fathers who can actually teach how to do this well. For those without a father, we have some amazing fathers who can actually mentor and continue to grow and actually show, hey, this is what being a good father is this is a community where we need to welcome men and young men and actually show this world hey this is what fatherhood is 700 years before jesus was born and isaiah and malachi are getting this right <coughs> um go and chat to nate and kate if you're passionate about this chat to nate and kate see what help they need go and chat with chat with charlotte um or chat with Brandon or Kate, two chaplains we have here at church, as they do this work in the schools. And we know, especially it skews even more in the public schools, this epidemic of fatherlessness. Maybe you might be called to go and teach RE or go and support our chaplains and actually show what a father can do. And now I turn to the final point four. <coughs> Finally, Jesus is the one who brings peace. And there is an entire sermon, actually scratch it, there is an entire semester of content here around God, Jesus being the Prince of Peace. Um, the heart of Romans is just this restoration back. Uh, but I'm just going to pick a few. What does it mean that Christ is the Prince of Peace? Well, first of all, let's just take the easy bit. The Prince of Peace, he's the son of the king. He has unlimited access to the king. So guess what? If the prince wants peace with the king, he's probably going to get it. But let's look at, say, Paul informs us in Romans 5. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are not in Christ But for those who are not in Christ Jesus, it is shocking to say, it's not a happy conversation to be having at Christmas, but in a world of sin, when, if people are choosing not to be in Christ, then they are adversaries. The sin in this world, we actually start as adversaries to Christ, to God. It is only through the Prince of Peace that we have this restoration, that we don't have this sin sitting between us and our hearts harden against our Father. You know, we need the Prince of Peace, the one that actually took of the sin that would hold us away from his Father to actually restore that. Secondly, the Hebrew word here used for peace, shalom, as well as peace, it carries a connotation of at ease. Not easy, not lazy, but at ease. Okay? In, a, in the world of Isaiah, the Jews were working six days straight just for survival. In Rome, when Christ came, the idea of having one day off, let alone two, was astounding. 
You worked and worked and worked. You had to work for everything. But this even flowed over into their religion. Every surrounding religion, the burden was on all about what you had to do. You had to earn your way to your God. You had to work, your, work for your salvation. The Prince of Peace here who brings Shalom, the one with a direct line to his father, he says, you don't need to earn, you don't need to strive. I will bring the peace. I will bring the peace with my father and I will give that gift. It's not something you earn, it's not something you qualify for, it is a gift of grace. Okay. Now this does not say that our life is easy. God never guaranteed our life would be stress-free. But what it does mean is that we don't need to work for what God has already given. Okay. And finally, peace here, as we are reminded, is one of the nine fruits of the Spirit, as James was speaking earlier. Okay, we are to model peace. It's actually in the first three of the gifts uh, of the fruits of the Spirit. As Christians, we are reminded this Christmas at the birth of the Prince of Peace that we are to model this to the outside world that desperately needs. What this world needs, have you looked around the world at the moment? It just seems to be getting more chaotic, more fast-paced. There is more violence, more struggle. As the economy starts to go backwards or not starts, as the economy is going backwards, people are working harder and harder and harder. Now, what if they looked at a church that was full of people that were at peace, that didn't feel they needed to strive to get that next achievement, to get that next goal, but they, I'm at peace because I worship the Prince of Peace. You know, my family is not wrecked because I'm working 60 hours a week because I feel I need to qualify for something. No, I'm going to actually be that father, be that counsellor, and out of that rest, I can be all of these things that God calls me to be, not to qualify for God's grace, but working out of God's grace. We don't need to run ourselves ragged to define ourselves, but we can bring rest to our souls. Don't we think that would be attractive to a dying world this Christmas? Don't we think that people looking at our life, if we actually had this peace, they wouldn't want to ask, hey, how did you get that? So these are the four points, whichever one of the four you most resonate with and with your needing in your life, I would encourage you, pray this week. I mean, you can take all four if you want, but pray this week and I would encourage you, read through Scripture, read through Jesus' life, looking for where Jesus exhibited the things, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, or the Prince of Peace. Ask God to show you how Jesus did that and why Jesus did that, but then act on that as well. If there are areas where you feel you've been neglecting in your walk, find somebody in your small group. Find one of our elders or pastors. You know, find, some, okay, find something online. We, you know, we're not, you can find wisdom elsewhere. But find something. Ask God to reveal to you which area that you would be more Christ-like as we head into 2023. It may be that you need to take your foot off the accelerator and stop striving, resting in the Prince of Peace and enjoying the Sabbath that he commands us to have. It may be that God is encouraging you to go and protect a person or defend somebody at your workplace who's been harassed. It might be that you need to actually have the courage to speak up and defend somebody who cannot defend themselves. Okay. 
the mighty warrior or mighty God coming through in your Imago day. Perhaps as a dad or a prospective dad, you can look and see how Jesus was both tough and tender. If somebody is caring for and loving my daughter, do you think I'm tough or tender with that person? I'm incredibly tender with those people. They are gifts from God. If somebody were to ever try and hurt Vanessa or Sarah, this is why we have the laying on of hands. (laughs) And I take my inspiration from some of the warriors in this church. Okay? We need to grow in all areas of Christ-likeness. His names give us some great guidance. But as we come into this Christmas period, as we look to invite others to Christ, he's not only these names for us, but do we realize Isaiah was actually written for all? Spurgeon again said that Isaiah was just as much the evangelist as he was the prophet, the one speaking to draw people to Christ, but he was speaking to a nation who half of which had worked, walked away from God and turned away. You know, Jesus is not just the counselor, the mighty God, the father and the prince of peace to us here. He is that to a dying world outside these doors. And we need to actually take that and invite people in so they can come and know him and know all of Jesus. As we, re- as we figure out, who are we going to invite next week? Okay. Don't just do a blasé. Don't just think, oh yeah, I can invite my neighbor. Stop and think, what does my neighbor need? What does my work colleague need? What does my family member need? Who was my family? And invite them to come and know that facet of Jesus. You know, I've been preaching for almost 20 years now. And, I, well, I've ceased being amazed that how God somehow just guides the preacher to speak exactly what somebody in the congregation needs to hear. Okay? You do your part. You invite somebody to come and experience this Jesus. And God and Pastor James will take care of the rest next Sunday. (laughs) Okay. But now, finally, I want to introduce one last name. This was the name that Isaiah started with two chapters earlier, and it is God Emmanuel. Literally, God with us. This is perhaps the most important name. You see, just like in Isaiah's time, In today's world, many people thought God was so distant that even if he was all-powerful, he didn't have an interest in their lives or have any authority over it. Many people were drawn to other gods or simply walked away. But our God would not be distant. In fact, he so longed to walk with his people as he did in the Garden of Eden that again he became one of us, stepped out of heaven was born to a virgin. That is what we celebrate this Christmas. He lived a life of 30-odd years, teaching, guiding, leading, running for his life, dodging authorities, discipling the 12 who would go on to disciple others, eating broiled fish. He was one of us. Okay. He ultimately hung on a cross so that we could be with him forever because he is the God who is with us. The same God who went to this extreme to be with his, his people is the same God who now wants to be with every single one here. I've just spent 30 minutes telling you about the different ways to view Christ, but the most important thing to know is Jesus is not just stuck away in heaven. Okay? He's right here 
and wants to be with you in every area of your life. Okay. When you need a wonderful counsellor, he is God with you right there. When you need a mighty warrior, again, he is God with us right here. Thanks for joining us. We pray that you and your family are richly blessed by the love and grace of Jesus. If you're ever in the area, we would love for you to join us for Sunday worship.